ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hail and well met, good fellows from the land of 10,000 icy cold lakes. The smartest man in the world podcast once again takes to the ether here from the enormously gratifying, salubrious surroundings of the Varsity Theater located right here in the very heart of Dinkytown in Minneapolis, Minnesota, ladies and gentlemen. Wowzers, McTavish, what, what can I say about a place called Dinkytown? Uh, first of all, the Varsity Theater is really nice, except if you're in the dressing room or backstage. The thing is this. I'm joking, of course. The bathroom upstairs is amazing. If you haven't gone, we may take a break in the middle of the show just so everyone can go up and look at it. I don't know if you're familiar with the insane modernista architect Antonin Gaudi from Spain, where everything turns into a swirling, whirling vortex of a shell, of a whelk, of a whirl, of a, of a skeleton, of a deconstructed paleozoic creature. But that's what the bathroom's like. It's all these little pieces and it's all thrown together and there's giant weird shower heads to wash your hand under as if you're going to take a small genital bath or something. It's pretty wild. Uh, I assume that people just get into a furious sweat in this theater and require a, a small shower to cool them down. There's also a pansexual, um, bisexual, ambisexual, male and female washing area, which I really, it's a taste of old Europe is what it is. The crowd goes quiet. Apparently, I'm more excited about it than you are. I like washing my hands with women, frankly. Sorry, fellas. I enjoy chatting with you, but when you're there with women, you're like, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? You know, instead of like, hey. Although one thing I do appreciate uh, about men is it's not, some guys break the social rule in the bathroom and they'll start chatting while you're like at the urinal and that's always like, really? Okay, this is gonna be wild. Um, uh, may I come to your house while you're doing something insanely personal and fucking chat with you about your life? Uh, oh, I see you're on top of your wife now. Hey, listen, you wanna talk about baseball? Um, But I remember being in a, a bathroom in the Persian Gulf uh, with Drew Carey, very wonderful memory. And um, <laughs> just the two of us, we can make it if we try, just the two of us, Drew and I. <laughs> Under the Persian Gulf the moon, that's when I saw Drew Carey swoon. Um, we were in Tomb Raid, Oman at a B-1 bomber base uh, doing a USO thing. And I remember going in and him and I, he'd been in the Marine Reserves and none of the guys would take it. We were only there one night. No one took a shower. They didn't want to use the horrible facilities because it was like, you know, stand up things with dinky curtains and don't drink the water and don't open your mouth and all that shit. And I fucking, come on. So I went in and like, it was like a cathedral in there. You know what I'm saying? Sepulchral tone. No one looked at you. No one spoke with you. You, you did your business, your, 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 you know, you did the, uh, all the business behind very thin filament. And, uh, and yet, it, it was as if it was a meeting of cardinals. It was just... No significant eye contact, no chatting, no fraternization, no grab ass. Let's be honest. What's the thing you dread most as a man going into a fucking shower situation? Horseplay. I don't want a towel snapped at me. I don't want my balls commented on. I know they look like Larry Fine and shit. I get it. I get it, all right? Stop with the goofiness, all right? We're here to do a thing. Let's just do that thing. And then move the goddamn hell on. 
But Drew went in and I went in and all the other guys went, no one took a shower? No, we're going to wait till we get to the hotel the next day. I'm like, you fucking pussies. Get in there and man up and use sand. Gets to the dirt, you bitches. We're at a B-1 bomber base. You think these guys are fucking luxuriating every day like it's Tahiti or something and shit? Uh, in any case, we're here in uh, uh, Dinkytown, and across the street from this theater is a sign indicating that it's the Dinkytown post office. So I go in today, and I'm like, can I have a roll of stamps? And the guy's like, these stamps are enormous. <laughs> and I can barely lift them. What type of enormous letter are you sending that you require such postage? I'm like, really? Everyone is so small here. It's like a Fiona Apple look-alike contest. It's everybody's three feet tall with pointy ears, and I feel like I've got to throw a ring into a volcano. My disappointment with Dinkytown is that everyone's not wearing green felt tunics and little red boots with bells on them. Frankly, I feel like you're dropping it for the team here. If you go to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, there's fucking fishing boats. Yeah, you see fishermen and shit. There's seals going, rrr, rrr, and you throw fish to them and shit. If you're gonna have a dinky town, shouldn't there be someone who's like, go no further, mortal? <laughs> the Heighted have no jurisdiction here. This is for us and our kind, the dinky. I'm a pixie. I'm a brownie. I'm a smurf and I'm lost. <laughs> kind of a mentally defective aphasic smurf. I'm not even a smurf, I'm a Keebler elf. What am I saying? There's no fudge here under a tree. There's no cereal in a big pot. What the fuck? What a ripoff Dinky Town is. Now, Bob Dylan lived here briefly or, or you know, hung around here. He's Dinky. He's the smallest folk singer in the world. He's like, what, 5'3", five, 5'4"? Five, he couldn't be any more than that. I saw a fucking six-foot dude walking down the street, like, with no excuses. <laughs> Go ye to Heighted Heights. Uh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, now we've made it to Minneapolis, uh, and I haven't been to Stepal on this trip, but I've been to Stepal before, and it's, uh, it's quite near here. Is my understanding. Uh, so many, what can, I, what can I say about Minneapolis? Uh, every time I've come here, I've never had like weather as Earth knows it. <laughs> the last two days here in Minneapolis have been a sweltering 90 something. Yesterday's humidity was like fucking Jupiter at the red spot. It was like, wow, this is kind of dank. I can't breathe. I'm getting a methane donut, you know, macaroni and cheese pizza filling, kind of like, ha oh, oh. uh, Hard to breathe, hard to breathe. Uh, and then today, simply hot. Uh, I've been here at other times of year. I came in the winter once, which was a, a terrible mistake on my part. Uh, as you know, the outdoors is a rugged place where there's uh, 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 gum wrappers and uh, sometimes fruit. Uh, seriously dangerous outside. I mean, I know this is, you know, Minnesota and you guys jump in a canoe the minute you wake up and then 
rub your undercarriage with a snow cone or whatever. Like, this is as warm as I'm gonna feel all day. And I know how it works here. You, you guys, it's harsh here in the winter, but uh, I'm from California and I'm an enormously sensitive artist. And uh, there's like badgers and shit, right? Worse than that, there's animals that fucking allow badgers to be out there. You know what I'm saying? There's animals that countenance other animals and I don't wanna have it. Uh, if you go out into the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. If you go out into the woods in the state of Minnesota, you'll find water. There's no question of that. There's water fucking everywhere. This is the leakiest of all the states. But also, there's no Chinese restaurants in the middle of a lake. I find that to be depressing. But look, what about the view? Yeah, what I'm looking at is no fucking food except what you fucking brought, and I don't want your tuna. Crushing disappointment. Although I was outside a minute ago uh, dealing with some matters and uh, I, I couldn't help but notice that both the sun and the moon were in the sky tonight. How propitious. And when I say propitious, of course, I mean how uh, alacritous, how fortuitous. Interesting to have all uh, the uh, heavenly bodies coincide on the night of a, a vodcast. Uh, so, and the times I've been here in the winter, extraordinarily cold. Uh, I had to uh, have huskies lick me out of an ice uh, wedge that I was in so I could go get a cinnamon uh, chai latte uh, last time I was here in the winter. Then I thought I'd outfox all y'all and come back in the spring. But no, it was fucking freezing ass in April. Like torrential, sideways, icicle, dart-like, heinous small javelins of fucking pain going into my eyes. If you wear glasses, fucking winter sucks balls. Because your glasses are covered with shit all the time. It's like having a windshield. The sighted don't understand, and you really never will. You did not listen. You're not listening still. Perhaps you never will. How I wish I knew. Um, the summer is not exactly a fucking dream for people with glasses because you walk into a place, it's freezing and cold air conditioning. As soon as you've come in from outside, your glasses steam up and, and just condensate immediately. So you're a hilarious Andy Dick character from a fucking Jessica Simpson movie. And then in the winter, there's moisture all the fucking time. I don't know how you do it, but good for you. Uh, I would just cry if I lived in Minnesota. But, oh, there's an indoor mall. Exactly. <laughs> Malls need to be outside so you can smoke pot in the parking lot freely. Freely. But you can do it at the indoor mall. Yeah, but there's a dude in a Cushman riding around. Uh, my favorite things from Minnesota, aside from uh, so many things, are, uh, of course, I have to go back just because. Mm, take five. <laughs> And by the way, the bar's open during the show. I don't see anyone up there. Uh, we're trying to watch you and listen to the first few minutes. Soon, you will grow weary of these words. <laughs> Drink, you will. I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. You will be. You will be. Uh... I went to see, if I've told this story before, fuck it, I'm telling it again. There's been a lot of episodes, they're free, so whatever. 
yeah, I know. <laughs> flip, flip over to Dana Gould for a minute. Um, the, I, I went to see Prince in 1984 at the, uh, at the Cow Palace in San Francisco uh, on the Purple Rain Tour, and it was, uh, oh yeah. It was, it was amazing. So and they sat on the radio. We listened to the radio in those days for instructions. <laughs> Citizens of Earth, remain in your homes. The communist threat is almost over. Now you can go to the airport and hear them say things like, if you see something suspicious, report it to one of the underpaid douchebags <laughs> who wouldn't know what to do if you told them. You're not douchebags, you're doing a job. Someone's listening that works for them and it's like, I'm not a douchebag. I know you're not, you know what I meant. So, <laughs> I never meant to cause you any trouble, trouble, trouble. I never meant to cause you any pain, pain, pain. I only want one thing, that's you to love me, love me, love me. I only want to see you laughing in the so on the radio they go, wear something purple, right? So I was working at a tchotchke shop, right, in San Francisco, and I'm hoping there's enough Jewish people in this fucking county. If there's Jews in the audience, explain to the other people what a tchotchke is. For the white people, for the, for, the, for the people who talk like this, my name is Garth Sandenberg. I don't know what a tchotchke is, they're great, hey. Just got finished polishing my Viking bobblehead collection and I came over here. Uh, I mean bric-a-brac, knick-knacks, gee-gaws. Crappy 80s shit. Glasses that were like leveler blinds. Do you remember those fucking abominations? Don't. Those are, I'll take pictures after. Those were done. It's like Disneyland. A spring shoots out my ass and the ride stops. I'll take a picture with you after, I promise. Those horrible glasses. Then the other ones, the wraparound new wave ones that were in blue and lime green and shit. And then all the, the, the O-rings in every different color. I had loads of black ones, right? Brooches, right? And uh, 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 the jellies. I didn't wear the jellies, I've said it before. Um, and then horrible cheap pumps that cost $20 that all the strippers who danced at the O'Farrell Theater used to come in and buy from us. Uh, and then the t-shirts, right, with the super graphics, relax, huh? It was the, oh yeah, I worked in a store that sold that shit. And then um, our boss was so awesome, I can't say his name because it's so, it impugns him, but he knows who he is and he was great. And on Christmas of um, uh, that year, he came in in the morning and uh, we, we had to undo all the shit and take all the crap out of the boxes. It was always from China or worse than China. It would be like from Snang Snay. And you're like, where the fuck's that? Like what fucking blind child had to pack this into a box? You know what I mean? Like where did this fucking cargo come from? And it was the cardboard that if one drop of moisture came on it, it exploded like a sausage, you know, like who fucking made this piece of junk, you know? So it would come and he, and he had bought these you bangy ashtrays, right? 
that were the most tasteless pieces of shit, the most racist, objectionable. They weren't funny in the fucking 1830s. You know what I mean? They were, they were, they were big-lipped African uh, with bones in their noses that had little headdresses on, and you put your cigarette here, and the smoke came out its nose. And he bought, he bought a case of these fucking things, right? And they sat in the store. First they were in the front, then they were in the side, then they were in the back, then they were under the counter, then they were nowhere, right? Like, you couldn't fucking give one of these things away. I think he asked 10 or 15 bucks at the beginning, then it was like, will anyone please remove these from the premises? I'm humiliated that I made this decision. And so, you, you, uh, so that Christmas morning, it was Christmas Eve, and we were open until 7, right? And we were on Polk Street in San Francisco. It was really busy, loads of people. And we sold cheap shit. Like, the most expensive item was like $25, right? So we did mad, you know, cash only. And it was credit card too, but... And I knew the tax on everything. I don't know if you've ever worked retail, but you learn the tax on every item. That way, when you don't bring it up, you know how much to take out of the till at the end of the fucking day. Am I right or am I right? So... A sweatshirt was $10.24, right? So you'd go, oh, three sweatshirts, fantastic. And you'd ring up two and then fucking go, hey, does anyone want shrimp cocktails for lunch? Um, it was always cab fare and lunch. I wasn't that larcenous. I'm not that big of a thief. I'm the petty thief. Uh, I worked with another girl um, who, again, I will not name, whose business card said on it, pharmacopoeia extraordinaire. So thank you for understanding Greek. For those of you who don't understand Greek, that meant she was a drug dealer. <laughs> Pharmacopoeia extraordinaire. Uh, that meant that the breadth and scope of what you can... Now, these are 80s drugs, so it's largely coke and shit like that. And now it would be, what, like Adderall and Meow Meow. I don't know what kids take. <laughs> what, what do kids take? They, like, reconstitute Wilma's from the Flintstone vitamins and turn them into some shit. I don't know. I don't take kid drugs, because I'm not a kid, so... I take grown-up drugs, so, uh, but in the 80s, that's what we had. So I, I was really hungover one day, and we were working together, and I go, I, I am fucking, I've got, I'm pouring sweat. And she goes, uh, go in the back and lay down. There was a storeroom, a heinous storeroom. Uh, and so I went in the back and laid down. I came back about an hour later. She goes, here's your cut. I go, my cut of what? She goes, like, the till. I'm like, have you not run anything up for an hour? You literally were just fucking taking, every, uh, you know. So... He comes in on Christmas Eve morning, and it's going to be heinous busy. If we did two grand at the till, that was a big fucking thing, right? And he was an ex-cop and kind of druggy. He threw down a bindle to me and the guy I was working with each, right? And, went, and this is how he talked. He was like, oh, try to stay awake. That's how he said, that was his orders for the day. Try to stay awake is what he said. <laughs> Take care of that. Try to stay awake. Take care of that. Try to stay awake. Uh, he, yeah, he spoke like Hunter S. Thompson. You know, kind of, how's that? Do what you can. Do what you can. Do what you can. So we did coke all day and smoked cigarettes. You could smoke cigarettes inside in those days. We smoked cigarettes all day and, and did coke and sold a million fucking plastic dinosaurs and, and T-shirts that said, don't do it. We went to the Christmas party at the boss's house, and this is how nice he was. There was each of us a box, and we opened it up, and inside, a you bangy ashtray. <laughs> with a $100 bill stuck in it. That was a lot of money in 1985, man. Fucking $100 bill in the you bangy ashtray. What does this have to do with Prince? I was working at that store. 
when on the radio it said, if you're going to the Prince concert tonight out at the Cow Palace, be sure to wear some purple. <laughs> and for his purple majesty's request. Now, I got a rock block of Prince coming up right now. Prince was so large then that they played him on white new wave stations. Fucking A. Because MTV had a little trouble with the Negro thing at the beginning until Michael Jackson exploded the world. And then they were like, hmm, white people will listen to Negroes. What an unusual development. You think I'm lying, but I remember I'm old. When MTV started, it was nothing but fucking Haircut 100 and shit for like ever. And then about five years in, they went, hmm, Prince. So uh, I stole a purple sweatshirt from the shop. No, I didn't dress like the white guy in the band. What, what's it, the, who's the drummer? What's the drummer's name? Bobby Z. Bobby Z. There's Brown Mark and Wendy and Lisa. Uh, uh, and Bobby Z and the doctor, Dr. Funk on keyboards. And, uh, and in, the, in the beginning, Des Dickerson, if you want to get back to the fucking original. But this was, this was, Des was gone and he was already in The Modern Airs, uh, which only existed as far as I could tell in the Prince movie. Uh, if you've ever seen Purple Rain, there's a scene where they pass through the club, which is still here, right? And, and Des Dickerson in The Modern Airs on stage and they're going, I want to be a modern air. Modern air, modern air, and they have giant purple boots on and shit. And, uh, that was their only song, as far as I knew. In any case, uh, 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 I didn't dress like Bobby Z. I didn't have a pencil thin mustache and a floofy do and a fucking Diamante collar and like a long, you know, Paul Revere jacket and ruffly sleeves and shit like that. I, I wasn't dressed like I was in Sheila E.'s road crew or whatever. I, <laughs> Sheila E. opened. Uh, and uh, so I stole the, the sweatshirt and we took a fuckload of psychedelic mushrooms, right? So we drove to the Cow Palace and is there any story you're gonna tell Greg where you rode bikes and then did a prayer meeting after? No. Listen to NPR if you want that shit. If you want to hear stories about honest, hardworking people and their fucking boring-ass, middle-class, bourgeois bullshit, middle-brow fucking lives where they don't do anything exciting and they worry about what color their fucking kid's bassinet is and shit like that, and the fucking biggest thing that ever happens in their life is they eat two sandwiches because they're only supposed to eat one because they're on a fucking strict regimen or whatever. If you want to feel like you're going to Montessori school, listen to fucking public radio. If you want to visit the fucking pruple world of fucking groovy pruplness. And I think I pointed it out once before, but I'm going to point it out again anyway. The group America in the song Ventura Highway invented Purple Rain. Because if you recall the song, he goes, uh, uh, Wishing on a fallen star, waiting for the early train. Uh-oh, sorry boy, I've been hit by purple rain. Right? And then Prince did it later. I'm sure he heard the song. Uh, but you mean it wasn't original? Mm -hmm. um, I heard it in 1973, uh, and Prince is my age. Well, maybe a year older, but he looks good. The point is this. We're tweaking our ass off on mushrooms. We missed the first act, whoever the fuck they were. Sheila E's on. There was kids sitting in my seat, right? And I mean kids, like fucking 12-year-olds or whatever. And I fucking threw their ass out and shit. Just high on mushrooms. I went, hey, you two, beat it. And they're like, what? And I said, you fucking heard me. These are our seats. Boom. And they fucking, me, me, me. And they fucking, my friend who's with me, Jeff Elf, was like, oh. 
I can't believe you did that, man. I go, I'm not standing. I'm not standing. We paid for these fucking seats. So Sheila comes on, and it was the fucking, you know, uh, uh, what, um, he saw us standing at the section mark. If you can't have to ask, you can't afford it. Lingerie, they made love. You know that one? <laughs> she knew she had a problem. Wow, wow, wow. You know that one? She wants to lead him. Bum, 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 bum. And then Sheila he would, I can't do it because I'm not that limber, but Sheila would go. Psh. <laughs> I can kick the drums over her head. Awesome. So then she brought a dude out of the audience and tied him up. And uh, yeah, fucking vaudeville, man. She took out a stadium, brought a guy out of the audience, put him in a chair, fucking tied him up, put her fucking spiked heel in his chest and pushed his ass over and shit. And then goes, ladies, don't you hate it when your man comes home with the funk some, from some other woman's pussy on his Johnson? <laughs> and even at 24, high on mushrooms, wearing a stolen purple sweatshirt, I was like, that's a rather site-specific incident, don't you think? <laughs> I, I don't know that all the women in this cow palace are on board on this one. I think some of them are rankled. Others, their dander's up. Some have probably never faced the fucking actual possibility of their man coming home with the funk from some other woman's pussy on his Johnson. Maybe their uh, cheating fucking uh, paramour was considerate enough to rinse after, <laughs> or even not come home. I don't know. I found it to be a frank and provocative question and one that I appreciated the honesty of. <laughs> After all, she was wearing lingerie. And uh, then Prince came on, right? So the whole place goes dark and they go, uh, you know, Get him, eleven. Yeah, fucking A, right? And then uh, we are gathered here together, this thing called life. Electric world called What is it that means for heaven? That's a mighty long time, but I don't tell you. And fucking, they came out of grain elevators underneath the fucking stage, right? They appeared like... And then they fucking came out and everybody went crazy and he was wearing the purple jacket and shit. Then when they did, um, what is it, computer blue? Which one is it? Wendy? Yes, Lisa. Is the water warm? Yes, Lisa. Shall we begin? That one was awesome because lights out and they just did it on the voice. So the best, my, the, aside from everything, because that was the show where he had the guitar that ejaculated, you know, it was... This high-class funk. Uh, he threw down like nobody since James Brown. It was really, really tremendous. And then at the end, he gets up. Not at the end, in the middle, like he's going to do the acoustic part. They did a couple of old jams, like Let's Work and shit like that from the earlier albums. And then he got down and he sat down at the piano and he played free. And he gets to the chorus, you know, and they're like, Be glad that you are free. And he goes, Sing if you want to. <laughs> And the crowd goes, free to change your mind. And he goes, thank you. <laughs> like, it, like it doesn't happen every night. Like there was a night in Pittsburgh or whatever. Really? Sing if you want to. Really? What else? Okay, thank you. Fucking show business is so awesome. Good ass show that one was. And then, of course, when I was a, a when I, I had a, a comedy group, in, I, I, I was in a comedy group in San Francisco uh, in the '80s. Uh, we based our entire dress code on Morris Day in the Time. I'm not saying 
that we wore Stacey Adams shoes and fucking, you know, luminescent turquoise fucking suits and shit. But the, the whole gig in our group was uh, sweet and sharp, sweet and sharp. As Stallonius Monk said, how do we dress tonight? Sharp as possible. And I've just tried to carry that on. I always thought that the time looked so fucking bitching um, with the tux coats and the Stacey Adams and the fucking pompadoured hair and shit and the jerry curls. It was just fucking off the deep end good. And, uh, and they were funky most, so uh, there you are. Let's get to the boring peachy part almost already. Um, it's a very big day uh, on this occasion because uh, the Supreme Court today, um, the Supreme Court today, five to four, upheld o Obamacare, as far as I can see, or a good deal of it. Um, and, oh, really, there's people booing? You'll, you'll learn to fucking regret that. Here we go. Here's the deal. Uh, John Roberts was the deciding vote on this one, which blew my mind into a million pieces. This court has distinguished itself since before John Roberts was on, by the way. Let's go back to 2000, uh, when it was Al Gore versus the State of Humanity. Uh, after the Supreme Court decision not to, have to count all the votes in the year 2000, that was the most egregious breach of the Constitution ever perpetrated, uh, outside of a million other breaches of the Constitution. But it, it was a decision that decidedly um, made the Supreme Court less than sacrosanct, where you could look at them and go, you're purely a political body reflecting the political will uh, of your masters, as opposed to you're an independent and free judiciary who, when appointed to this court, votes what you believe and votes your conscience uh, like we hope people would do, like Solomon, Axinamon, or, uh, or Hammurabi, anyone's named Blacksmith that you can think of, uh, Thurgood Marshall, uh, two people from this very town, William O. Douglas and Justice Brennan, people who had a conscience and thought about the greater good and what would be happening 30, 50, 100 years from now in America. That's what the Supreme Court's supposed to be about, not about, well, they don't need to count the votes. <laughs> During that fucking flapdoodle that went on, on the news every night, they would go, uh, but the president's term is over in January, and then there'll be no president. No, we're not a banana republic. We're not fucking Lesotho, okay? Right? We're, we're, we're not, we, we, we don't, you know, we, we have an airport with buildings and shit. <laughs> the president's president till the next one's decided. The next one's decided when all the votes are counted, not when the Supreme Court stops the counting of votes. But even if they counted them, the newspaper said he won by 400 votes. If you believe anyone in a country with 300 something million people wins an election by 400 votes, I would like to sell you something. <laughs> It's in Brooklyn, and you can cross over to Manhattan on it. Don't be fucking naive, and don't insult your intelligence and mine by saying that you believe that the newspaper said that George Bush won a national election by 454 votes, or whatever the figure was. It's a mythical figure made up by the press to make everybody go back to sleep. In any case, cutting to now, Justice Roberts got in, and Justice uh, Scalito, uh, <laughs> Alito. We won't even talk about Justice Thomas because it makes my blood fucking curdle. <laughs> and, um, and now there's uh, 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 Justice Roberts, when they made him Chief Justice, I thought, that's a fell move, right? If there's any reason to vote for president, and you know how I feel about this, uh, 
Uh, it, it's because they get to pick people around the Supreme Court. There's two justices who are going to leave in the next four years. Just keep that in mind. Do whatever you like. Um, uh, uh, Ruth Bader is not healthy at all. And uh, is it Breyer is the other one who's ancient? Now, it's not at all unlike justices to get on the court and then do what the fuck they want. Uh, Justice Souter of recent memory was appointed by um, William Howard fucking Bush Sr. And... <laughs> Or as we know him, Ock Naughton, who handed his golden crown to his son without the formality of an election. You, my son, shall be king now. But what about all the votes? They are counted, and you have won. Over 400 people have chosen you over the other one. It is practically an anointment. So, uh, yeah, he appointed uh, Justice Souter to the court, and he tried to get Bork onto the court. Bork was a little freaky for people, because uh, he was watching Faces of Death on Laserdisc in those days. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have been worse than a lot of justices. In any case, they put Souter on because he was Norman Bates. He lived at home with his mom. He'd never written a notable decision. He was just a, you know, chaste Republican. And then he got on the court and voted liberal the whole fucking time and fucked them completely over. <laughs> Richard M. Nixon, uh, who was president briefly in the 70s, and uh, as Woody Allen said, when he left the White House, they used to count the silverware. Um, uh, Richard Nixon appointed Justice Powell to the court, uh, thinking he would be one of the boys in the bag. I'll, you'll vote party line. You'll do what we tell you to do. Justice Powell went off on his own the whole fucking time he was on the court. They don't have to leave, by the way. Souter left, uh, but they don't have to leave. Sandy Day O'Connor left. You can stay till you die. You can sit till the moment you fucking die if you fucking want to. It's a sinecure. Justice Thomas, in all of his time on the court, since those marvelous hearings with Anita Hill where he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was kind and beautiful to women each day at work. <laughs> Not a woman in this room is, is unfamiliar with that person at work. That's all I have to say. The man, you can think what you like. Every woman in this room knows what I'm talking about. There's a guy at work who looks at your tits before he looks at your eyes and goes, I was watching porn last night. You're like, really, Jimmy? Could I fucking finish my shit here? I'm just saying. Well, he's on the Supreme Court. In any case, uh, he uh, <laughs> has never asked a question. He doesn't ask questions. Um, when people present their case, they get up and they give their case. Two lawyers, they argue it out. Everybody gets to ask. There's nine justices sitting in their robes, August, up on a bench, right? Justice Thomas has sat like this for 21 years. That's the kind of inquisitive mind I want on the court. Surely something at some point might even... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Can you clear something up? No, no, no. I'm all right, all right. So he voted down the health care. Uh, this is my point about the health care. Whether you're for it or not, and whether it means anything politically or not, and whether anything or anything or not, um, here's the deal. Uh, I, I don't think it's a perfect thing. I don't think anything that politicians concoct is a perfect thing, because when I use the word concoct, I mean that the word cock is in it, in so much as politicians take special interest cock inside them so deeply every moment of their being. That the idea of proportional representation, your senators of which you get two, your congresspeople of which you get two for every half a million or whatever, and they gerrymander that over and over, and then they want to do a voter ID thing in Minnesota too, so that the poor and disenfranchised and old and the Negro can't vote. Uh, 
That's why there's voter ID, by the way, uh, so that people can't vote. It's not to empower everyone. Who cares if you have ID, if you can vote? If you're on the voter roll, you're a human in the United States. Presumably those people pay taxes as well. By the way, for all the bourgeois white people of the world who live on their phone and shit, there's a lot of people off the grid, in case you didn't know that. There's um, 30 or 40 million people in this country with no ID, no insurance, no credit card, no fucking anything. When you watch TV and you go, who buys those fucking prepaid man, he man, man? They are. That's who fucking does it. Uh, there's a gigantic fucking underclass in this country. So we're not talking about five people. We're talking about a lot of fucking people. Uh, in any case, to get to my point is this. One, we should have taken care of healthcare in the 60s when Lyndon Johnson was doling out money for everything. Then we would be with countries like Canada and England who have imperfect but socialized systems. Now, when the war, I say the word socialized, that's when people panic and you hear on the news, it's socialized! That only means that you apply and that there's a doctor you can eventually see. It doesn't mean that someone comes to your house and makes you wear the same pair of shoes and they use the same pair of forceps on you that they used on everyone else in your collective. Okay? And, by the fucking way, um, healthcare is not in the Constitution, but don't you feel as a human who pays taxes in the United States and you get to watch the military wildly overfunded every moment of the day, you get to watch all of the banks and all of the uh, giant commerce corporations, the ones that stole the money from us, the ones that created the mortgage crisis, the ones that JP Morgan that lost $2 billion about a month and a half ago and didn't have to explain at all. Meanwhile, if you go to protest or if you steal something from Kmart, you're going down, right? We live in that world and we know that. Money goes upwards in a gigantic sucking funnel because they have no responsibility in a free market society to help anyone other than themselves. Profit and growth are the two motives of corporations. There's not another motive. There's not another motive. There's not another motive. However, as citizens of the United States and of the world, do we not feel that we have some sort of right to some sort of health care, however small and minimal it may be, so that people aren't forced to go to the emergency room to treat things that are actually treatable, so that people aren't fucked over at work because they have a pre-existing condition, so that people aren't fucked over because they're a woman, or even worse, a poor woman, or even worse, a poor woman who isn't white? Uh, because that's who gets fucked the hardest, you guys. So... Yes, you're a big bleeding heart liberal, Greg, but what about the reality of the situation? Well, if everyone has the right in a free market society to make as much money as they want, do people who own uh, the big pharmaceutical companies and the big medical companies, let me put it this way. Is it the right of every doctor in this country to be extraordinarily wealthy? Is it the right of every pharmaceutical company to make untold fucking profits that are untrammeled that spiral upward every fucking year? Would it be okay, let me put it this way, if one year the pharmaceutical companies had a shitty year like you have or like I have? Would that be okay? Would the world come to a fucking end if a giant pharmaceutical company broke even one fucking year? If a doctor only made a million dollars instead of eight million dollars, would that be okay with the fucking universe and shit? Secondly, and this is where the Supreme Court really fries my bacon into a fucking crispy wad. What I detest more than politics or even Republicans or Democrats or anything is cruelty. And as I've so often said on the show, and it's boring, but I'm gonna say it again. As um, uh, um, William Blake said, the dog starved at the master's gate predicts the ruin of the state. You follow, right? 
When you see homeless people everywhere, when you see the, the quality of life go down in this country, when you go to an airport and you wait for a year in a hot fucking room and no one does anything and no one tells you shit, that didn't happen 20 years ago at airports. No airline would have treated you like that 20 years ago. They know where they've got you now. You know what I'm saying? When you call a company and you can't get anyone on the phone for a fucking year and every single person that you talk to goes back to the same script and you're back at square one the minute you fucking start every single fucking – and you stay on. You stay with it. That didn't happen 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? The corporations are not making the world a bigger, brighter, better, wonderful, more easy place to live despite all the commercials on TV where you see happy fucking people in banks and shit like that and fucking people working on oil rigs and, oh, look, there's a seal. Let's hug it and shit. No. You saw the oil spill in the Gulf. Did BP do anything in your mind to go, fucking, they're the best corporation ever. They owned up immediately and said they were really sorry about all the people that died and gave everyone money and made an equitable settlement and sent people out with fucking cash into the field. They did everything right. No, there, no one's been helped. You know what I mean? We all know what the fucking deal is. So having said that, cruelty is the thing I object to the most. When the Supreme Court rules against people like the Citizens United thing. I saw three editorials in the last two days, one in the, uh, the Minnesota, uh, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, one in USA Today, and one online that said, uh, hey, it's not the end of the world. Corporations aren't the ones who give the most money to fucking candidates and shit. <laughs> it cost a billion dollars to run for president. Mitt Romney's spending a billion dollars. Obama's spending a billion dollars. Know that. A billion dollars. All of us in this room will never have a billion dollars put together for the rest of our lives. Is it okay if they don't spend a billion dollars? That's all I'm saying. Would it be okay if we scaled shit back a little bit? Maybe they could spend $750 million. If you're so fucking worried about the free market society collapsing in on itself. The billion dollars, but, but corporations don't give the most. You know what Citizens United did. It, it gave personhood to corporations, right? That's a cruel thing to do. Um, in the last few years, they've done, a, what was it, eminent domain? They can buy your house and take it away from you if, you if they want, right? Companies can do that now. There is no fucking... You don't own what you own anymore. Uh, 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 the restriction of, of people's rights in a million different areas. The fucking Patriot Act. The wiretapping that's going on. All the lawlessness that our government perpetrates all the fucking time with torture and drone fucking uh, predator drones flying around the world and, and, and never having to stand trial and, and, and objecting when other countries fucking like go, hey, could you stop fucking killing people for two seconds? Um, back to the court. Not passing health, a healthcare bill Congress approved it. The president signed it. They've taken it all the way to the Supreme Court, which is supposed to be the final final, right? The Supreme Court. That's why it's called the Supreme Court. Not the Supreme Court, unless you hate the decision, then let's keep going on this shit. <laughs> the Supreme Court finally ruled. Let's leave it. Let's have some fucking modicum of health care. We're not going to go socialist. Don't worry about it. Your taxes are going to explode. If you own a business and shit, you'll fucking make it. Um, what about all the businesses that don't pay any taxes? That would be all of them, the giant ones. Don't pay any fucking taxes. Maybe they could pay a little bit into this fucking thing. What I'm getting at is... To knock that law down is cruel. It's cruel. At the end of the day, who is it cruel to, Greg? Babies and shit. Can I make it any more plain? Can I make it any more... Uh, Sinclair Lewis is from this town. Well, I mean, what the, can I make it any more fucking clear? Babies, dirty-faced, snot-nosed babies who are high on fucking crack is who, when you don't have health care, they don't get any fucking health care at all, and they're welcome to fucking die in the street like this is Dickens, London. And I won't fucking... I mean, if you're against the health care bill, I understand. 
dig this. Uh, there are, Republicans are already starting to try to overturn it. They're going to try to get another vote together in Congress. This is what I have to say about this. It's over. You lost one. Take it like a fucking man, okay? All right? You fought it in Congress. You fought it on the Hill. You fought it when the president approved it. You took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Let it fucking lie. Let it fucking lie. Let it be enacted. Let it, let's see what happens. Maybe in the next five years, we work out the kinks. Maybe in the next 20 years, it turns out it was okay. You know what I mean? To keep fighting over this? Because this Congress isn't doing anything else by the fucking way. Obstructing this bill is their business. Uh, uh, name another bill that's gone through Congress in this session that's made your life better or that's had any relevance to you. You can't because they're not on the news because they haven't. What they have done this entire session is to fiddle fuck with each other. And, and it, it needs to fucking stop right now with this fucking decision. Shut the fuck up and let's move on, can we please? Thank you. A couple of quick ones. Uh, these were off the web today uh, on a Minneapolis site. Uh, this is the Republican Party of Minnesota Chairman Pat Sortridge. This is people's comments on the, on the, uh, uh, um, the decision by the Supreme Court. Lesson, we need, did I pronounce it wrong? Pat Shortridge? No. Uh, we need conservative senators who are willing to vote against activist liberal judicial nominees, not rubber stamp them. Um, Justice Roberts? Chief Justice Roberts was appointed by George W. fucking world beater Bush. The decider, the one who started all the wars, the one who made society safe because of the fucking, you know, the sand people are going to come and whatnot. Now our balls get rubbed at the airport. You know, this world that we live in, that world. He appointed him. So don't give me, don't repeat talking points that aren't fucking relevant. You just sound like a monkey. For the weak-minded, point was on conservative senators opposing liberals like Soto, Soto. It was on Twitter, so he had to shorten it. Sotomayor, Kagan, Ginsburg, etc. Roberts, not a lib, a disappointment. Because he fucking stood up and went, I'm Chief Justice and this, this one needs to stand. Maybe it's the first time he grew a fucking pear in his life and shit. <laughs> Uh, Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. It's your state, you guys. Hey, I have Daryl Issa in my state. I am deeply disappointed by the court's decision. Of course she is. She believes gay people can be cured of being homosexual. I'm un my understanding is Mexicans can be cured of being Latin, too. If you just, exactly, si si puede. If you, if you just make Latins listen to, just a small town girl, heading in a lonely world. They'll be like, I don't want to listen to my music anymore. <laughs> Obamacare represents the largest expansion of entitlement spending and playground of left-wing social engineering in our country's history and must be stopped. What represents the largest expansion of entitlement spending is the bailout of the financial institutions that we continue to do. 
They do not pay taxes. They have not paid fines. Not one of them has gone in front of a, a lawyer, a judge, to give a deposition about what they did to this country. Not one of them from any of the banks, AIG, Shearson Lehman, JP Morgan. In England, they're just catching up to Lloyd's and Barclays this week because they've been rigging shit over there and fixing rates and stuff. That you haven't heard fuck all. They're, they're chasing B of A a little bit. It's just starting to trickle through now because they've got the Justice Department in a stranglehold. They're busy fucking indicting the Attorney General, who's a dick anyway, but the point is this. <laughs> That's social entitlement. When, social, when, 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 when entitlement spending is given to corporations and giant entities, it's never called entitlement spending. Only entitlement spending when people get it. Now the only way to save the country from Obamacare's budget busting government takeover of healthcare is to completely repeal it. So you can see where she's coming from and you can see where they're gonna go with this. No, the only way uh, about the budget busting government takeover is to take some money away from the military because we don't need as much as we have. Al Franken, it's a great day for Minnesotans. This means that Minnesotans, and by the way, you have more people, less people off the rolls of healthcare than almost any state. I think it's about 9% here. You, you do quite well here in Minnesota. You're, you're a, a zesty little community of, of, of people named Sven and shit. This means Minnesotans who have pre-existing conditions will not, starting in 2014, none of them will be denied or punished for having pre-existing conditions when it comes to getting insurance. This is absolutely central to why I ran for the Senate. Now, one, he's a comedian. And so I've got to be on his side. But secondly, uh, that's what I mean about the cruelty. Uh, if you've had cancer, and if you haven't had cancer, you know someone who's had cancer. You fucking have. Everyone in this room knows someone who's had cancer. I don't. Yeah, I know. You're the fucking asshole. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but everyone else has. Uh, or, or, or whatever condition it is. And, and you know how serious this thing is. And you know what cruelty it is to go for the insurance companies. And by the way, do the insurance companies need to be insanely wealthy every minute? Really? Shouldn't, wouldn't it be okay if insurance companies made money like you have to make money, which is a little bit at a time and shit? Uh, moving on uh, to the uh, gay marriage initiative facing this state. Uh, rather than tackle the entire issue, I thought I'd read you something from the NFL.com website. <laughs> Minnesota Vikings punter Chris Cluey has never been afraid. Cluey? Or Clue? Cluey. He, uh, he took shots at the owners during the labor, labor negotiations and the league's 2011 memo regarding the faking of injuries. He voiced his support for the same-sex marriage through a series Woo! of ads he helped write for Minnesotans for Equality. Cluey's preferred avenue for speaking against injustices has been on Twitter, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, someone from the Minnesota, this is him speaking, someone from the Minnesotans for Equality contacted me and asked if I'd be interested. I said yes. I've always believed, this is a punter for the Vikings, <laughs> that people who are inherently the same and should have the same rights and equal protection under the law, it really doesn't matter what you do with who or whom, as long as you're not infringing on someone else's rights. Everyone should be free to live their own life however it makes them happy. This is a professional football player, you guys. <laughs> not to make too big a point of it, but when was the last time you heard Justice Scalia say something like that. That's all I'm saying, baby. What did he say? Exactly. I can just think of it. 
Supreme Court gets pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. <laughs> Roberts goes, I'm not gonna run. It's fourth and long. <laughs> Fucking cluey. And then making a tackle. Whoa, 54 yards, end over end. That one's gonna go out of the end zone. They're gonna start on the two. <laughs> and the final, Vikings 21, Bengals 28. Oh! I'm just trying to keep it real. Huh. With the exception of New York, which has 70 players on current NFL rosters, none of the states that allow for same-sex marriages are major producers of NFL talent. Considering most of the NFL players are coming from states unlikely to pass such ballot initiatives or have already struck down, that may factor in an inability for a gay player to come out during his career. Um, Cluey, uh, let's see, it's a very machismo-type football culture, Cluey said of the locker room. The past hundred years of football have been about being a guy's guy sport, and you have to shrug everything off, and you can never show weakness. For a lot of people, they were raised that being gay is either a weakness or a sin. So it's tough for a lot of guys to get past that cultural conditioning. Um, one of the things my parents brought me up with is you should have equality for everyone. I'd like to think I have a pretty strong sense of justice and right and wrong. The proposed marriage amendment is just blatant discrimination and that's not right, that's wrong. Well done, Mr. Cluey. Uh, I wanted to talk about a lot of Minnesota people here. Have we had a half hour yet, Brandon? You're not Brandon, you're just a disgruntled guy in the back. Where are we at, Brandon? Oh, we're at an hour? My goodness, I'm entertaining. Time for some commercials. Yeah, let's get that, we gotta, we gotta do these. Uh, what was it? Green? What are you yelling? You're so one, pick one person, I'm deaf. What? You're sexy. Z-list? Seamless. S-E-A-M-L-E-S-S. Seamless. Seamless. Smooth. Seamless. I get it. Hey, everybody. The 4th of July is coming. Speaking of the Supreme Court and the football, you know what football reminds me of? The 4th of July. You know, one of the best times of the football season is when they're not playing. Grill out with 100% made in America mangrate. A mangrate weighs eight pounds. Holy cow. You're gonna crush a kitten with that thing. Be careful. Oh, he's okay. It's a man grate. <laughs> These cast iron grilling grates simply lay atop a top? Who wrote this? These don't lay atop me. What are you, rogue for cheese and I'm a tomato? These cast iron grilling cast iron. Remember cast iron? No, no one uses it anymore. 
the man-grade people do. Simply lay atop your current uh, standard wire grates and deliver steakhouse-quality flavor in your own backyard. No more dry meat, no more flare-ups with their patented design. Every man-grade order comes with a grill brush. If you go to my website, to gregproofs.com, there's a man-grade banner. I'm putting a new one up tomorrow. Go down, go down, go down, go down. It's on the right. Go down further. It's on the right. There it is. <laughs> click on it. You get a $20 price if you click on the man-grade banner on my website. Uh, they support the show. Thank you for, uh, for supporting them because when you support them, it allows me to uh, run freely around the United States. Um, thank you. This 4th of July, do the patriotic thing. Man great, man great, buy one for your home. I'm an American and I will barbecue. I will use a man great, oh, there goes your shoe. It's made of cast iron and it's tougher than it looks. I know all y'all use Amazon, everybody uses Amazon. Go to my website, gregproops.com, and click on the Amazon skyscraper banner on the right side. And I will get credit for sending you toward Amazon if you're gonna buy a book or a CD or something like that, uh, and you're going to Amazon. If you'll do that, that will also help us keep rolling here along as we do. Also, uh, who likes music? Wow, have you heard about Spotify? Millions of tracks, artists, and even comedy content. That's right, even the old Proof Kitten. Uh, it's iTunes, but, without, but with the entire world's library at your fingertips whenever you want it. It works on PCs, Macs, home audio systems, and mobile phones. <laughs> the tracks play live, you don't gotta wait. It also doesn't take up a million things on your computer or whatever they're called, gigas. Um, <laughs> It's easy to use, or as this copy says, it's super easy to use because it's the 70s. Uh, go to our Spotify link. Uh, it's on my website. Where is it? It's up at the top. It's up at the top. It's up at the top. I'm down at the man great thing. Go back up. <laughs> Click register from your Facebook account. Download Spotify to your Windows or Mac. And there's millions and millions of songs. Go to Spotify. That will help us do that. Uh, let's talk about where we're going to be. We are going to be, uh, let's see, at the Helium Club in Philadelphia, or as I've spelled it here, Hellum. <laughs> let's just correct that. We'll be in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, not that I noticed, and um, <laughs> that's on the 12th of uh, July. Then we'll be at the Paris uh, 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 Casino in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. I'm a little more Elvis Costello than Elvis Presley. <laughs> Let the dice stay hot. Try to roll a seven with every shot. Viva, Viva Las Vegas. Um, I'll be at the Paris uh, Casino at Las Vegas on the 26th. Uh, also doing stand-up there that weekend. Help me. Help me by showing up. Uh, I'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco, my home club, uh, on the um, 2nd of August. Uh, we'll be doing a proofcast there that night, and then we'll be uh, stand-up on the weekend there. And then I'll be doing stand-up in Salem, Oregon on the 8th uh, at the Elsinore Theater, I believe it's called. And then the 10th of uh, August... I've got that wrong. It's the 9th and 10th. I've written this wrong. Uh, Salem on the 9th, Eugene on the 10th. Uh, for the people listening in Oregon, people listening to the damp cast. 
you can email me at smartest at a special thing dot com, and you can email me personally if you like at fanmailforgreg at gmail dot com. I do answer them. If you've emailed me and you know that I do, I answer them. Uh, we take questions on the show here. We got some here. We're never going to get to them today because uh, I want to talk to you guys. But I want to go through a couple things real quick here. Uh, you have a poet that passed away recently, or in the recent memory, uh, named Bill Holm. He was from Iceland, and um, thank you. We love poetry here on the show, and we aspire to poetry at all times because underneath this bitter, fucking burned-out liberal, what was once a bright, democratic heart full of hope that's now just a charred, fucking bitter, horrible piece of tan bark that you find underneath the urine-soaked corner of the monkey bars. <laughs> Inside here is a, is a, a tumescent, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> let's say effervescent. That way, it, it, when it gets hard, it kind of fizzes out on you. Uh, I, I, poetry is, is all I seek. So here we go. Uh, Bill Holm um, was a local poet here. Uh, th- I wanted to read something. They had a wake for him, and, and this was on the web. There will be an opportunity to toast Bill mem- Bill's memory and pledge that his name will not be lost to memory, which I thought was very well put. Um, because as you know, the dead are quite alive. Um, uh, and, and by the way, this one's for Nora Ephron tonight. Whatever you thought, a woman of infinite wit. She made people laugh. There's nothing more important in my world. Uh, we'll try to have some Icelandic vodka around, says his wake. And that's my kind of fucking wake. Uh, here's the poem. A retired farmer working as a greeter at Walmart. The store went up last year outside of town. There was a cornfield where I'm standing now, smiling, saying hello, and handing out ads for plastic purses, towels, and microwaves. The job doesn't pay much, but neither did farming. Pete, my old neighbor wearing clean overalls, comes in. I say, hey, you lazy fart. I see you're taking the day off to loaf in town. And Pete says, you should talk, getting paid for standing around in an air-conditioned store while we talk about the rain last night, the possibility of early frost, the price of hogs, A dozen customers pass by ungreeted, and I feel uneasy about not doing my job. In one way, it's like farming, spending hours on the tractor with lots of time to daydream. Now I invent secrets I'd like to tell customers. Every third mineral water bottle is filled with Russian vodka. (laughs) Snakes have been found in the cups of the imported braziers. But I only say, hello, how are you? And send them on their way down the aisles, which are nothing like rows of corn. We've had some love go out here tonight. Uh, A little bit of love for a few uh, people from Minnesota. Uh, Harry Blackman, who was a justice on the Supreme Court, he wrote Roe versus Wade, ladies and gentlemen. He wrote the decision on that one. A decision that sadly, which I had no idea in 1973 when I was 13, that I was going to have to face in my middle age. I, didn't, I had no idea Roe v. Wade was going to be this uh, unbelievably contested my entire fucking life. I would have thought at one point the men of America would grow up and fucking grow an ovary. We've already mentioned Justice Douglas and Justice Berger. Uh, Gene McCarthy is from uh, Harold Stassen. No one remembers Harold Stassen, but uh, thank you. Some people remember him here. As a child, uh, Harold Stassen ran for president 12 times. 
He sought the Republican Party nomination 12 times, 44, 48, 52, 64, 68, 76, 80, 84, 88, 92, 96, and 2000. He ran for governor of Minnesota four times, winning three times, governor of PA twice, Senate twice, and mayor of Philadelphia once. He was also sought a seat as US representative. An amazing politician, just simply fucking amazing. George Papen, I'm not gonna get it right, Papandrew. He was the prime minister of Greece in 2009. He's from Minnesota, you guys. He's from St. Paul. He was national minister of education and minister of foreign affairs and prime minister of Greece, no longer. It wasn't his fault, but wow, to come from Minneapolis. Uh, Walter Mondale, Andrew John Volstead. Yes, Fritz Mondale is a very nice person. Uh, Andrew, Jed Vol Andrew John Volstead. This one is important to me because we're always talking about the prohibition of marijuana on this show. Uh, I noticed there's no medical marijuana. Do you have medical marijuana clinics? You yeah. Pity that. Uh, uh, Andrew John Volstead, you may remember because um, the... Uh, uh, sponsored a bill that prohibited the manufacture, transportation, import, export, sale, and consumption of alcohol beginning in 1920, formally called the National Prohibition Act. It was better known as the Volstead Act, which established prohibition from 1919 to 1933. 14 years in this country, you couldn't buy alcohol legally. That was the 14 years when organized crime took a stranglehold uh, on uh, so many dealings in this country. We made organized crime with the Volstead Act, and we're making organized crime with the prohibition of marijuana. Couple of quick hits. The trash men, they did surf and bird. They never saw a beach in their life that wasn't on a lake. The reason why Surf and Bird is more awesome than any song is one, they're called the Trashmen. They played surf punk rock, really. Uh, Tony Anderson on lead guitar, Dal Winslow on guitar, Steve Warr, Bob Reed. They had two songs in 64, Surf and Bird, number four, Bird Dance Beat, the sequel, number 30. If you've never heard Surf and Bird, I think you have. Well, na 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 na, everybody's heard about the bird. Bird, 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 bird is the word. And then the best part ever. <laughs> Unbelievable. The, the Ramones and the Cramps. Everybody. Fucking greatest song ever. Uh, Soul Asylum. Uh, Sounds of Blackness. Gary Puckett. The Replacements. Husker Do. Steve Greenberg. Oh, won't you take me to... A funky town. Yeah, fucking A. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Uh, fucking A. The Andrews Sisters, Babes in Toyland, Bill Berry, Dr. Demento. I don't think any, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for Dr. Demento. He really fucking put it on. Uh, I hope he's still on somewhere. Why does it, is he still alive? Dr. Demento should have a podcast every day, shouldn't he? Where he plays fucking, oh my God. It's $4 a show. Oh, does it cost, are you here, Dr. Demento? <laughs> oh, it's Tim. Uh, it's $4 a show. Well, good for him. Uh, I owe him everything. He was really cool. I mean, it was the first time you heard uh, uh, so many songs. And of course, Weird Al Yankovic owes his entire career to fucking Dr. Demento. <laughs> and that's not a knock. That's how cool he was. Uh, Eddie Cochran from Albert Lee, Minnesota. What a great town name. Uh, 
I think we've mentioned Bob Dylan before. This is the funny part. This is from Minnesota.com. Dylan was inspired by Woody Guthrie, and this was one reason why he moved to New York City. <laughs> also, fantastically, it says Grammy Awards winner. <laughs> you know, somehow in the comprehensive ocean that is the fucking overwhelming poetry that is Bob Dylan, I don't think the Grammy Award is what people are going to remember at the end of the day. <laughs> I do remember this. When he won the Grammy Award, it was for, was it Time Out of Mind? He got on stage and he goes, everyone worked real hard on this album, even the musicians. <laughs> and no one laughed because it's Bob Dylan. And everything he says is like Moses chiseling into a tablet. <laughs> Fucking show business crowd in Hollywood and they all, ooh. The musicians worked really hard. And then, and I'm, I, I'm going to get this wrong, I'll misquote it, but I, I, won't, I, don't, I won't forget it. He said, um, when I was a kid, I think he said his age too, I think he said when he was 15, he goes, I went and saw Buddy Holly at Duluth, at the town hall in Duluth. And man, he looked at me. And I could think about that when we were making the album. And I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> Bob Dylan is uh, a cog in a gigantic wheel. Bob Dylan is uh, a, a, a butterfly in an enormous, what do you call a place where you keep butterflies? A butterfly area, a lepidopteriary. He's, it's Bob Dylan, it's Buddy Holly, it's Chuck Berry, it's Lead Belly. It, it's Big Mama Thornton. It's, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's Ma Rainey. It's Stephen Foster. It's, it's Yankees uh, who came over in boats. It's Irish people who were sent over with their fucking penny whistles and their accordions. It's black people on chain gangs. It's, it's fucking uh, people building railroads. That's what Bob Dylan's music is. It's a continuation of the gigantic wave of American music. He is the interpreter of it. That's why he, when I saw him in 2001, he closed with Not Fade Away by Buddy Holly. And it was a screaming, rocking fucking version too. And they really shouted it out. It was awesome. And, uh, and so when he says that, it sounds like he's a crazy person, which he is. <laughs> but it also speaks to the heart of what he's doing, uh, I think. Uh, 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 other people get up and go, yeah, I want to thank God. Yeah. Well, that's nice and shit. Uh, it's, it's awesome that you're appealing to the higher spirit. Um, but God doesn't often come down to review lyrics <laughs> because he's busy hanging the firmament of the universe. Uh, Bob Dylan didn't mention God. He mentioned Buddy Holly. And... Uh, Buddy Holly has a lot more to do with what he's doing than, than any, in any case. All right, I've, I've said enough about it. I just thought it was an awesome thing to say. I get so tired of people uh, thanking the, the God and then their agent in the same sentence. <laughs> you know, God doesn't live on Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills is my understanding. And, it, and God doesn't make other people call you. God does his own phone calls. You've seen the routine with Ellen DeGeneres. He fucking calls. Uh, I'm going to go through some sports stars here. Really? I thought this was going to be a short show. I don't think so tonight. 
I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Uh, Charles Chief Bender uh, was a baseball player. He was a pitcher. He threw a no-hitter in 1910. He uh, pitched famously for the Philadelphia Athletics um, in the teens of, of the last century. I'm a big dead ball fan. They didn't allow black people to play, but for some reason American Indians got a pass. So American Indians got to play and they were all called chief. All the one, yeah, oh yeah. Less sensitive time then. This is before World War I. So if you were an Indian and he was a, a, a Chippewa, a full on Chippewa uh, from here, uh, from White Earth Reservation, Minnesota, um, he was called Chief. Later, he pitched on Brooklyn, and uh, his catcher uh, was named um, um, Chief Myers. He, uh, he caught for the Giants. He was also an Indian. So they, they broomed the two Indians together, Bender and Myers. Uh, my understanding is that Bender pitched on the uh, 1905 uh, Philadelphia Athletics team. He most certainly pitched on the championship Philadelphia teams of, uh, uh, is it uh, 10 and 11 uh, and maybe 13 when they had the $100,000 infield. I know that sounds silly now. In those days, $100,000 was a lot of fucking money. Um, in any case, he's in the Hall of Fame. And if you ever get a book called The Glory of Their Times by Lawrence Ritter, there's also an audio version you can get on um, iTunes. Uh, Chief Bender speaks. Uh, or Chief Myers speaks, rather. Uh, uh, but they talk about the old days in baseball. Uh, Chief Bender's a really cool figure from those days. Uh, Jean Havlish uh, is from St. Paul, Minnesota. She was a shortstop for the Fort Wayne, Indiana Daisies of the Women's Pro Baseball League in the 50s and also a Hall of Fame fucking bowler. So well done, Jean Havlish. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jerry Kuzman, of course, uh, uh, pitched for the Mets, uh, and they just got their first no-hitter this year, but I couldn't believe that Kuzman didn't have one. Uh, Kent Herbeck. Let me just reenact a moment in Kent Herbeck's career. That's right. Lifted the guy's foot off the bag in the World Series and tagged him out. Was that Lonnie Smith? Who was it? He? Who was who? Gant. It was Ron Gant. Lonnie Smith was the one who got deked by no block in game seven. Yeah, that's what I remember. Oh, you can't fuck with me on that one. I think the 91 series is underrated, quite frankly. It was when Jack Morris went back in uh, after the ninth, and uh, Tom Kelly goes, give me the ball, and Morris went, fuck you. I'm pitching the 10th. And he's not in the hall. I don't understand why Jack Morris is in the hall. Not yet, not yet. I, he should go in though. I really believe that Jack Morris was maybe the best, one of the best pitchers of the 80s, if not the best pitcher. I mean, you could argue the rocket and shit, but the, Morris was for Detroit and uh, Minnesota and the 90s, early 90s, obviously. Uh, and of course, Kirby Puckett. Uh, he's not from here, but the two players, I think that uh, the most emotional attachment here, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm not, Kirby Puckett and Harmon Killebrew, because they were such lovely, uh, lovely people and lovely gentlemen. I met Rod Carew once, and I touched him, and uh, in a manly way, as if we were in an NFL locker room together. Very manly way. Uh, no, I met him. I was doing some TV show, and uh, uh, speaking of no-hitters, um, uh, Bill, Bill, yeah. Was yet yet another pilot that fucking went down and uh, yeah, like like King Kong had hit it. Um, mm, 
pitched up at a softball diamond outside of LA and Bill Russell who pit, played short for the Dodgers and Rod Carew were there and it was, it was a show it was a this is, I, it would work now it was like a reality type show you made a wish and then they made your wish come true and this guy wanted to fucking get instruction from major leaguers so they brought Rod Carew and he told him how to fucking bat and Rod Carew fucking showed him how to he didn't show him how to steal home and shit <laughs> that would have been hilarious if Rod Carew like because what did he steal home 16 times 18 16, Rod Carew stole home a lot. No one steals home, you guys. Rod Carew was fucking fast. I had his rookie card, and it was on a... Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, in any case, uh, Rod Carew was really... And, I, and yes, I brought a baseball card for him to sign, okay? And, it, and I couldn't find one that was just Rod Carew. It was one of those two-parters that had, like, tops batting league leader thing, twins thing, thing, thing. So it was Rod Carew and someone else on the same card, and I kind of went, Mr. And he, never mind. And he just fucking signed it. And I was like, God bless you for not going, really? You couldn't find a card that just had my picture on it? I, I had to share it with fucking Jerry Mumphrey or whatever. What am I, liver that's chopped? Uh... Yeah, the 91 World Series was a dandy. Um, Roger Maris is from Hibbing, Minnesota. Un completely uh, overlooked and underrated and scorned horribly by the writers during his lifetime. Really, really horribly. He was a, a very nice man and a superb outfielder. He played on the 67 and 68 Cardinals when I was a little kid. That's when I saw him. I don't remember the 61 year where he hit fucking 61 homers. I'm not that fucking old, so fuck you. <laughs> like Jack Morris said to Tom Kelly, fuck you. I do remember this. I was looking up Kirby Puckett's uh, bio today, and uh, it didn't say it anywhere, and I confirmed it uh, with Todd, who works here, and Michelle. Uh, before game six, where he had a triple and a game-winning homer in the 10th, was it? And that catch over the wall. He told the team, what was it? Get on my back tonight? Climb on my back? Yeah, and they fucking won game six and went to game seven. Uh, Joe Maurer, Paul Molitor, Jack Morris, who's from St. Paul... Terry Steinbach, and of course, the immortal Dave Winfield, who when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame said, my name has both win and field in it, so I knew I would be good. <laughs> Very quickly, Roy Dandridge, because as you know, we can never get away without talking about the Negro Leagues. Roy Dandridge uh, played in many teams here, uh, uh, all around the Negro Leagues. He played in Mexico, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Santo Domingo, played for the Brooklyn um, Black Dodgers or New York Dodgers, uh, played for the Minneapolis Millers in white ball. Came up when he was... Um, he got put in the Hall of Fame when he, he made it. He finally, they put him in. He, and, and at the age of 36, in 1949, he broke the American Association color line Hit 362 for the Minneapolis Millers, the New York Giants AAA farm team. That was the closest he ever got to the major leagues. A superb third baseman, Kitty Cat, was one of his nicknames. Um, too old, said some. Too many, whispered others. Observing the Giants already had three black players, Mona Urban, Hank Thompson, and Artie Wilson. Willie Mays wasn't even on the team yet. The Giants had already put three on their team. The reason Ray Dandridge didn't go to the big leagues was because they had three black guys. Not because he wasn't the best third baseman still playing at 36. Because after uh, that, he played for three more years, and including winning in 1950, the next year, after he wasn't brought up to the big leagues, he won the MVP of the American Association. So I think he had some fucking game in him. Uh, that winter, he went to Cuba and played with a 20-year-old outfielder from Alabama named Willie Mays. Mays joined Dandridge in 51, and they were roommates, of course, because they were the only two black guys on the fucking team. 
We go out in the outfield and I show him how to throw low. We change style. Of, well, no way did we change style of hitting. Uh, Mays was hitting 477 when the Millers traveled to Sioux City for a night exhibition game against another giant Spartan team. Uh, Mays and Dandridge, as was their custom, went to a, a, the movies together, preparing to while away the afternoon. Says Dandridge, on the screen they printed, Willie Mays wanted at the box office. Mays goes out to the lobby, comes back, and tells me he has to go to the hotel. I said, you go, and I'll watch the rest of the picture. When I got to the clubhouse, I said, hey, Skip, where's Mays? And he said, on a plane for New York. I had to go pack up his stuff and send it to him. I felt glad for him. I thought, maybe I'll be next. Willie Mays was hitting 477, 477 for the Minneapolis Millers after a month of play. And Leo DeRocher phoned him. And when he got back to, the, to get on the phone, DeRocher said, uh, I want you to come up. I need you to play center field for the New York Giants. And Mays went, I'm not ready, Mr. Leo. I'm not ready. I can't do it. I can't hit that big league pitching. And Leo DeRocher said, what are you hitting in Minneapolis? And he went, 477. <laughs> and DeRocher went, you think you can hit half that up here? Dandridge was a lovely man. Thank goodness he went into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was old enough to be the father to many ball players, and it's uh, blah, 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 blah. The advice he gave many younger players like Mays, Irvin, and Cleveland in, uh, Indian outfielder Larry Doby, who broke the American League color line, played an important, if subtle, role in the integration of the sport. Dandridge played one more year here for the Millers, and then he played for Sacramento and Oakland, and then one more in Bismarck at 41, where he hit 360. Uh, yeah. Larry Doby, of course went to the Cleveland Indians in 1948, where he was joined in the summer of that year by a pitcher named Satchel Paige. Uh, so many funny comedians from Minneapolis. Liz Winstead is from Minneapolis. Uh, Louis Anderson, Nick Swartzen, and the lovely Jeff Cesario from here. Uh, also, Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford. Uh, the amazing Maria Bamford is from here. Uh, who? Mitch Hedberg. Oh, Mitch, yes, yes, Mitch Hedberg, and Mitch Hedberg as well. Uh, thank you, I had forgotten uh, to mention Mitch Hedberg. The late, great Mitch Hedberg. Uh, he was an amazing comedian and a very funny gentleman indeed. Uh, I have nothing but respect for Mitch Hedberg. Also, Dan Schlissel runs a, a record company out of this very town called Stand Up Records. I have two albums on uh, Dan's label. I'm also selling albums out in the lobby, none of which are on Dan's label, sadly, so he'll receive no money for tonight's plug. But he has many great uh, artists on his label, including Maria Bamford and uh, Lewis Black, uh, Mark Marin, Tom Rhodes, lots of good comics, and uh, he's totally the real deal. Are we ready to do some questions, you guys? Shaker, are you ready to do this? Thank you, brother. Just stick up your hand and Shaker will wander out there. We'll do this for a while and then we'll fuck off into the night. Have I mentioned man great lately? Have I told you, man, greatly that I love right. you? Hey, Greg. What's your name, sir? Andrew. Hi, uh, Andrew. I'm Greg. House center. Uh, it's the third row. Hi. Um, I'm doing my paperwork while we're talking. Okay. I just knew you were blind, so I thought I'd help. I'm watching. So you spoke a lot about Bob Dylan tonight. Yes. And uh, how does he make it on your fuckable and unfuckable list? Well, I think young Bob Dylan is pretty fuckable. I mean, uh, I, I happen to know of a couple of people who went there with him. I hope this isn't out of school. So I'm in London a couple years ago and I'm on a radio show and I'm promoting something. I did a, 
a documentary of, uh, of Jack Kerouac's On the Road for like BBC, for like Radio 4 or whatever. So it was fun. And, uh, and not, I'm not an expert on it, but they asked me to do it, so I fucking did it. And we go to plug that, and on the show's Mavis Staples from the Staples Singers. And the host is Scottish, right? And Mavis, Mavis is there with her sister, and her sister's wearing a wig. Uh, they were both wearing wigs, but her sister's wig was slightly askew. And the stable singers are just unstoppable fucking gospel, you know. And you know what Mavis's voice sounds right like? I know. I can't even do it justice, right? Like, she has a baritone. Uh, if you've seen The Last Waltz, another thing we talk about quite a lot on the show, uh, you know that at one point in the movie, the staples come on and sing um, The Weight. They don't sing it live in this show. They sing it with the staples later in the movie. And Mavis sings it. All, all the staple singers sing it, but Mavis uh, sings it. She has a marvelous voice. She's also in the Prince movie... Um, uh, graffiti Bridge and sings Melody Blue in that, in that uh, um, picture and on that record. Mavis is there. The host is Scottish. You're in England. You got to be ready for fucking frankness, right? Because in the UK, they don't give a fuck. They say things in the UK like Tom Cruise is gay and shit. Like, you know, they just say it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like here where you read things and people are like, well, blue, 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 dance around the fucking topic. In England, they fucking go for the fucking juggler and shit. So the host of the show goes, so, when Bob Dylan came down to the south, you had an affair with him. <laughs> and Mavis Staples, who's in her 70s, turned fucking red, right? <laughs> and went, I'm not gonna... And her sister turned to my wife, they were sitting on the side, and went, mm-hmm. <laughs> No place, ain't nobody crying. I'll take you there. Ain't nobody worried. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I think he was. Now he uh, he looks, as my wife said, like Vincent Price, the dead riverboat gambler. <laughs> but I love how he sings now. I really love how he sings now. Oh, was it? Oh, I wasn't born in the country. But one day I might cross the line. It's not dark yet, but it's getting now. Yeah. If you go to see him now, that's how he sings. Any of the songs. Maybe like, uh, God's a day, Abraham. Kill me a song. That's a no, you must be putting me on. Or what was my favorite one? Uh, it was back in another lifetime. One of soil and blood. But blackness was a virtue. Because there's a, it's like Jerry Lewis. There's two periods, right? If you do Jerry Lewis, it's the, hey, lady! And then there's the lady, mm, the good and the warm and the nice, right? With Bob Dylan, there's that, uh, 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 where the stone you win, you walk into the door. There's that Dylan. And then there's that, it was back in another lifetime. <laughs> and then there's that weird Nashville skyline, lay, lady, lay. Lay from my big baby. Why did you sing like that on one album? You didn't sing like that on any other album. Stay with your man a while. What happened on that one, Bob? What does he say? Uh, what is it? When the sheriff walks on hard nails, the deputy rides him out. But nothing really matters is Doom Alone that counts. What other pop singer with AM radio hits puts the lyric, 
it's doom alone that counts. In a poem aimed at you. That's why he is fucking Bob Dylan and everyone else is not. And as much as I like the singer-songwriters of today, back to your hutch and cogitate. They walk together in the time. Uh, thank you for your question. Boy, that was long. <laughs> Prince, on the other hand, fuckable in many decades, I think. <laughs> he's skinny. You know he's gonna be tricky. That's the thing with him. First of all, he's gonna be oiled up, and then, whoa, where are you? Fuck, you're behind me. Ah! I mean, he said in one of the songs, I sincerely want to fuck the taste of out of your mouth. Can you relate? Can you relate? You just told me you wanted to fuck my mouth. I, I guess I can relate. <laughs> my girl's gone and she don't get out. And if she did, so what? Come on, baby, let's. Oh, I want you. Unbelievable. Yeah, Prince is uh, Prince is pretty wild. Uh, let's have another question, and then uh, maybe I'll uh, leave. Don't, don't. I wasn't trying to be disingenuous. We've done it a year. There's staff here and they have children. I know we don't, but they do. You've left your child at home with the window rolled down. Eat these fucking Fruit Loops. I'm going to see Proops. I'm going to Dinky Town. Hey, watch where you're walking. Sorry, I didn't see you. Why you look down? It was back in another lifetime. One of Bells and Felt. Anybody? That's it? One Bob Dylan? Right here, oh, right here. I, I can't see. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name? I'm Charlene. Carlin? Charlene. Hi, Charlene. Hi. Hi. A few weeks ago, somebody asked you, Kirk or Picard... As an avid Star Trek fan, I have to know, where do the other captains fit in the mix? I, I didn't watch the other shows that much. There's, there's, there's Captain Jane White. She was badass. And then there was, what was the last one, Scott Bakula? What was his captain's name? Arthur. Captain Arthur. Cisco, yeah, see, I, I didn't, I didn't, sorry you guys, you're gonna fucking kill me. I'm gonna be stoned to death by fucking graphic novel reading people after the show. I've totally let you down. I'm sorry, I didn't watch the other Star Treks, I only watched the first two, and then I, I, I gave up childish things and started following the way of the Lord. Prepare ye, sinners. Uh, so I think they fit in right really good. Somewhere in between Picard and Kirk. They, they weren't on Battlestar Galactica. What was Brian Posehn's old joke? Uh, when the Star Trek movie comes out, drive by and go, fucking, the, all the people in line, all the nerds in line out inside of Grauman's Chinese Theater, fucking Star Wars sucks! 
Fuck you, it's not Star Wars, it's Star Trek. He goes, man, there's gonna be a lot of nerd on nerd violence. <laughs> Brian Pussain, it wasn't me. I'm sorry I can't answer that question. I should have just lied. But I would have got caught halfway through because I don't know fucking two of their names. Hot. Guess it's not really the smartest man in the world anymore. Aww. Don't worry, I still have the hugest ego in the world. I'll rally almost momentarily. Thank you for your question. Maybe next time you could make it more arcane and then I would know it. Greg, Greg I have a question for you. All right. Thank you for standing, it's like a revival meeting now. Amen, brother. Uh, I've got a BBC question for you. Uh, I, I don't know your feelings on the historical period of England between the wars, but I do know your feelings on drinking. And <laughs> I... <laughs> yes? So here's how the BBC fits in. I have always wanted to know if you could live as one fictional historical lush would you rat from the bbc i am living as one well okay but you're real well i wouldn't be malcolm lowry or anything he's too sad oh i've got i've got or two... f scott even though f scott's from st paul isn't he that's true how about uh brideshead revisited with anthony andrews and jeremy irons yes versus jeeves and wooster with Stephen Fry and Oh, Glory. I see what you're saying, yes. Well, I mean, first of all, the clothes uh, in Brideshead are fabulous, and the hairdos. Uh, and that's when Jeremy Irons was just young and ghoulish. Uh, and he hadn't achieved, then it was just more like this. Uh, he, he hadn't developed into the full Karloff that he was later, or that he is now. I don't know, has anyone been watching the Borgias or just me? Because it's been awesome, the, the last few episodes. He's really over the fucking top. He's just screaming his lines and shit like that. You're like, really? I will have them all in this room. Do you understand? You know, and you're like... And Bride said that, that was more the callow. Casino. Did we win? He bet it all in black. Ah. And lost. Like Wesley Snipes in the movie Passenger 57? Always bet on black. Um, I, but having said that, uh, I, I think uh, Jeeves and Worcester, because uh, he's such a heedless, good time person, uh, that uh, Bertie Worcester said, We win? He bet it all in black. Ah. And lost. Like Wesley Snipes in the movie Passenger 57. Yeah. Always bet on black. Um, I, but having said that, uh, I, I think uh, Jeeves and Worcester, because uh, he's such a heedless, good time person, uh, that uh, Bertie Worcester is such an unbelievably gormless hooray uh, that I think he has no idea. With him, he's, he's like the epitome of an upper-class twit. It's just, uh, uh, what do the Bonzo dog band say? I'm, a, I'm an L man, liquor love and laughs. Uh, and Stephen Fry is so unbelievably gorgeous. As uh, they both are, Hugh Laurie's amazing too. I just did a sh I did a TV show in England like two weeks ago with with Stephen Fry called QI that you'll never see in America, but uh, it'll be on in September. And he's just marvelous. I just I worship and adore him. I aspire to be in his pants, uh, just to be a witness to what's going on. 
Did I say pants? I meant his brain. I don't know where that came from. I'm joking, of course. That's been the Poop Cast. Thank you very much for coming out, Dinky Town. Although you are Dinky, you are so neat. You are not so stupid, but I love your green self-poop. My name's been Greg Proops. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Visit us on our website and all our adventures. I love you.